Hello, I'm Dr. Lisa Belio, and today you are listening to or watching Radio Maine. In the studio, I have with me artist Holden Willard. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks. Um, Holden, you're a Maine guy. You grew up in Maine and um, graduated from from high school in Maine, and you're back in Maine again. So tell me about your connection to Maine. I grew up in Raymond, Maine. Um, my parents, uh, Megan and Dawn, um, are also from Maine as well. Um, both were farming families. So, you know, they met together, you know, long after they had gone to college together. Um, and, you know, they wanted to have a family and, um, staying in Maine was kind of just like a natural progression for them. And, um, my dad, uh, was the town manager of Raymond and, you know, he really, you know, kind of wanted to raise that family in Maine because of how amazing Maine is, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm ha really happy he did. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a really, a really good time. And I think a natural progression for me to come back to Maine because of the art scene here, the art history of the state, you know, the, um, the teachings that I got in, in college were, you know, very much a heavy emphasis on modernism. Um, and so I was like looking at Mars and Hartley and like, you know, these like main cubists. And I was like really into that, that really long history of, you know, kind of like plein air painting and reactive painting. So, you know, my connection to, to Maine, I think only strengthened, uh, that desire to want to continue my studies here. So reactive painting, that's yeah. the that's the one thing that I'm picking up on that I actually don't know that much about. Tell me about that. I like to think of it as like through the lens of experiencing something uh, and then reacting to it, like looking at something directly, observing it, um, synthesizing it. So, you know, taking bits of information from it, movement, color, sound, trying to figure how that can be translated into the mark. A good example would be like our child Gorky. He would like go out into the field of where he worked outside of his barn and he would paint outside. And a lot of his paintings were reactive because they're not direct representations. So I guess that's what I mean is that like, I'm taking bits of information, I'm synthesizing it. And while I am leaning more on the, t more on the side of representation, you know, my, my work is more about, um, you know, that, that synthesis of all of that information. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And having looked at some of your work online, not in mm -hmm. person, and I know there's a difference between, between those things and how you react to things um, yeah. in the moment versus looking online, it, you use a, a lot of self, you do a lot of self portraits mm -hmm. in there and you do use figures in your pieces, but they're not they're not a traditional sort of figurative approach. Tell me about that. It's very unique. So I had a, a teacher in college. His name was uh, Timothy Harney. And he was that guy who taught me a lot about modernism. So I'm, I'm looking a lot at like Fauvists and I'm looking a lot at like, like the early modernist period, like 50s, 60s, early 70s. That's getting into the mid modernist period. But he taught us the teachings of Hans Hoffman. Uh, he was a... Um, 
a little bit more of a colorist and his work was mainly non-objective. Um, but it's all about this push and pull of like color theory. Um, so actually my paintings, although I'm using the figure as a vehicle for understanding, well, essentially color. So my paintings are mainly about that, that push and pull that, um, desire to create paintings that, um, kind of vibrate, you know, that have like, a you know, two values set together that, you know, create that vibration. So I just am obsessed and have always been obsessed with, um, figuration because I am constantly trying to, um, be as honest as I can with my, uh, representations. And for me, my honest way of representing is, you know, through, through color and, and through Mark. Um, but yeah, I think the color came a lot from my teachings with, with him. And if you were to look up Hans Hoffman paintings, it is a lot of this very use of vibrant color. And I think I saw his paintings in person for the first time at the Peabody Essex Museum when I was in, uh, in school at Montserrat in Beverly, Mass. He had a retrospective. He's long since dead, but his uh, retrospective was really enlightening, kind of seeing him move from actually figuration and representation himself all the way to like abstract color fields or, you know, even just like very stark blank canvases with very, very subtle transitions of color. Um, you can see uh, a, a life of, of searching, which is essentially what Tim taught all of his students was this drawing method called the search. So I actually had a very in-depth drawing history with him. I took like three years of drawing with him and a year of painting with him. Um, and yeah, that desire is essentially color. When we talk about color theory, for people who are non-artists or don't have as much experience with that, mm -hmm. can you expand upon that a little bit? What does that mean and why is that important to creating art? Yeah, well, I think I don't, I personally don't think of color theory in like the traditional sense of like, you know, your secondaries, your tertiaries, your complementaries. Clearly, that is, you know, an important factor. But um, personally, for me, it's more of a um, getting a sense of, of color. Um, so for, for me personally, my color theory is intuitive. But for others, you know, color theory is a very strict regimen of I'm going to add, you know, like three fourths amount of cadmium red or something. But I, I'm not thinking about that when I'm going into color. I do do color studies and I try and simplify and uh, try and tweak my colors. But for me, color theory is intuitive. So it's kind of hard to say, um, you know, how I think about theory because it's not really um, for me, not really about theory. It's it's about that intuitive sense of like looking at that, you know, that table right there that has that plant on it. I'm going to try and pick up some of the, the browns, the, the siennas, um, but I'm going to exaggerate it a little bit. So, but yeah, that sense of color is intuitive for me. Um, if someone were to, if someone else were to ask me the same question, I'd probably say the same. It's hard to, it's hard to gauge uh, how I make these choices. Um, 
but mainly it's based on my my interests in other colorists and seeing what they're doing uh, mixed with my own intuition. So as I'm hearing you talk, I'm hearing a lot about the importance of the historical perspective and also theories and other artists' um, processes and the way that they approach their own art and um, how that, how you use that yourself, how you actually kind of integrate it into your own work. So you're not necessarily doing, um, strictly following somebody else's path, but you're saying, how, how do I bring this into my own pieces and how do mm-hmm. I experience this and, and do this work myself? So it sounds like even that is a bit of a, a kind of an ongoing search and experimentation. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think a lot about, um, a lot about art history and I'm always trying to compare that obsession with art history with, um, what's going on in the contemporary moment. So, you know, some of my favorite colorists like, uh, Jennifer Packer, Deron Langberg, um, you know, they're using the, the figure as that vehicle, but I would say their work is also mainly about color. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, um, am always trying to search for new ways to be honest within my work. And, uh, over the past couple of years, it's been a lot about, um, kind of upping the color, upping, upping the vibrancy and trying to challenge myself a little bit more with, um, that vibration aspect. A lot of that comes from, you know, setting, you know, these colors that are like the same value, but maybe they're in a different hue or maybe they're very close in hue. Um, like, a good example that most people would probably know is like when you look at like a Rothko painting and you see these two colors that are very, very close in value and in hue, you know, he said that the meaning of his paintings are in between the, um, the color passages. And I hope that that some of that emphasis can be felt in my paintings because there's many layers and there's a, there's a history, uh, that belongs to every single one of them that I, uh, take away and I show. It's a little bit, if I'm hearing you right, it's a little bit about kind of not, not just what's there, but what's not there. It's sort yeah. of the, the space in between. Yeah. So when you're, when you're thinking about or intuiting the work that you're putting together, is there, is there an element of subtraction that you're always working toward? Yeah. There's always uh, a lot of that emphasis that I was taught in college was, you know, an additive and subtractive process. I'm putting paint on, I'm taking it off. I'm drawing through paint. I'm taking it off again. Um, glazing, scumbling, sanding. Yeah, it's 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 a lot about a process of, you know, reevaluating and reevaluating and reevaluating every single choice you make. Um, I want everything to be um, worked up to the same degree. Oh, um, the whole picture frame activated. Um, you know, there's a. A lot of artists who you know focus from part to part um and i was taught to stray away from that and the way to keep a work honest and alive is to be reacting to every single part simultaneously and see how everything reacts as a whole so i'm interested when you and i first sat down this morning you had mentioned that initially you went into art education yeah. and um that wasn't the place that you were at and what you were doing wasn't a good fit for you. But initially you did have an interest in, in doing art education. Is this something that has in any way carried through for you? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I've taught a couple workshops. I've also helped some friends out um, and taught them like kind of impromptu drawing and painting courses. Um, I feel like I could be a good teacher um, and I'm actually hoping to teach at some point in my life. Um, I only have my BFA right now. I got it in 2021. Um, So I'm waiting to get my master's um, for a little while longer, probably until I'm a little bit more into my 20s. But at some point, I plan on getting my master's, going back to school, because I I love school. I really, really enjoyed um, college. Um, And higher education meant a lot to me as a painter. I felt like I got a lot out of it. And I'm just waiting until I feel like I hit an impasse and like I need to go back to school and reevaluate. And then after that, hopefully I get to teach. We'll see. So when you're working with people who have questions about art and are looking to get into it from the very beginning, because you've obviously been doing this for a while, what are some of the things that they bring forward as um, challenges or concerns or things that keep them from actually engaging in, in art in a higher level way? I think uh, I'll put it through my perspective. When I was going into art school, I felt very cocky. I felt like I could draw. And my teacher was like, you can't draw. You're not looking. You're not seeing. You're not reacting to everything around uh, what you're trying to portray. Um, You're leaving things out. So whenever I approach drawing, um, the drawing emphasis that I'm teaching is the same that Tim taught me which is the search. So I'm trying to teach people how to, to see. So, you know, and, and that is a challenge because you have to teach people how to see and then move their hand with their sight and make that connection real on the paper or the canvas or whatever, what have you. So I think the biggest, um, the biggest problem that I run into teaching people is just you know, getting their getting their eyes off the paper and getting it on what they're looking at. Uh, the, a funny anecdote that Tim told me once was that, like, you know, you don't you don't know anything. Why are you looking at your paper? You know, what what you need to be looking at is well, what you need to be looking at. So um, that's that's the biggest thing that I try and emphasize with um, any kind of informal teaching that I might do. That's a really fascinating thing for for me to think about, the idea that you're not necessarily teaching a craft in the beginning. You're actually helping people to kind of perceive the world in a different way. Mm. And and how, how do you do that? How do you help people to actually see something if they're not seeing it in a, in a kind of more in-depth way? I think if the student is struggling, um, it helps to bring out like examples of the similar kind of thing that I'm trying to emphasize. So I have a lot of art books. I collect a lot of um, those. So I have a lot of those out, you know, and if someone like a friend was struggling with it, I'd be like, hey, look at this guy. This guy was doing this. This person was, you know, seeing it this way or you know, I think seeing examples is always really good because then people have like a framework for understanding. Um, 
So I will try and set up that framework if there's a little bit more trouble. So when you talk about the history of art in Maine and you referenced Marsden Hartley, for example, mm-hmm. um, do you think there's something about Maine that caused so many artists to come here and to work here, spend time here, work with other artists here? Is it something specific to the state or is there something else? For me personally, um, I think Maine is absolutely um, beautiful. There's a, a lovely arts community here that I found myself a part of and um, embraced by. Um, I, I think the the community is the really big thing because the Maine arts community really sticks together and helps each other, supports one another. Um, and I think that's really special because I've gone actually not to many places, but the few places that I have been, uh, competition always seems to be a huge thing. And that's not really the case in Maine. No one is trying to compete, um, for anything or like, like social clout or, you know, art. It's not, it's not really a thing here. And I, I think a lot of people, uh, get that sense from Maine and, you know, want to come here. Um, there's a lot of people from a lot of young people from New York, uh, New York city that are, you know, getting tired of working and, and living there and are looking for a respite and are coming to Maine. And I think, uh, to some degree, that's a really good thing. I wish I could keep it, uh, a best, uh, like a best hidden secret for me and all my friends, but you know, Maine is is just absolutely beautiful as well, and I think it's really special in terms of the fact that um, there is mostly wooded areas in this state. So it's very very easy to, you know, kind of isolate if you want to, and kind of really look inwards to you, uh, inwards to yourself, but also outwards to the to the world. It's perfect for the work I make. So we've been talking about your work as an artist and Mm -hmm. somewhat about your work as someone who's educating other artists, but there's also a commercial element to art Mm -hmm. and there's always a balance that artists, um, who, who want to have this as a profession have to seek. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like for you? And, and how does, um, the idea that your work will belong on somebody else's wall because they will buy it hopefully, um, at some point, how does that work in your situation? Well, it's tough because I don't have any, I personally don't have any like context for art within my family other than, you know, my parents, you know, in enjoying doing it, you know, casually sometimes. Um, so it's been mainly a process of trial and error. Ever since I was 19, I've been, you know, showing in group shows and you kind of just you know, learn off the cuff and figure things out as you go along. Um, and that is a little tough. Sometimes you screw up, you maybe don't make the right choice, but you know, you've, you've got to make a choice. Um, but the, I would say, you know, the best advice is to just, you know, make artwork. I mean, a lot of people say, Oh, you're, you're so talented and that's, that's lovely. I appreciate it. But you know, talent is time spent on a passion. So I'm spending the time, I'm putting in the effort. And like I said, just learning as I go, you know, mainly for the past, you know, 
four or five years, I've been, you know, my own business with my art. And that can be tough because I don't know anything about business, but I've been figuring it out. And, you know, mainly uh, my, my biggest my biggest thing was like running that business um, on Instagram and and posting and being active and um, being in online communities. Um, and that has really grown my my reach quite a lot on Instagram um, and it's gotten me opportunities. So I'd say the best advice is to just you know, to, to work, um, as, as much as you can without burning yourself out. Um, and obviously being attentive to that cause I have burned myself out and it is a, uh, constant struggle, uh, um, a balancing act, but I would say, yeah, just working and, and posting if you can, and, um, the opportunities will eventually come. I think there's a market for any kind of art. Um, you just have to find that market. So one of the things that you've talked about is um, from your teacher who came in and said, well, you don't really know how to draw. Mm -hmm. And my experience in talking with people who have, have gone through true art education is they have to be comfortable with critique and they have to be comfortable with other people commenting on their work, mm -hmm. which feels like it could be um, something that you have to learn over time because being challenged as to something that's deeply personal is, is not for everybody an easy thing. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about that a little. Yeah, critique is critique is uh, clearly a really heavy thing. I mean, I remember being in school and, you know, some people just not taking it well at all and like crying and it's, it's awful to see. But um, I think critique is the most important part of, of art. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be living in a, in a home in Brunswick, um, with, with a bunch of other artists and we're all going to be hopefully critiquing each other and being critical of one another's artwork. I think it's the only way you can get better. And, um, you need someone in your life who's going to tell you straight up how you're doing. Um, and it's never from a place of malice or contempt. It's always from a place of understanding um, when I do cr critiques, especially, it's always from a place of understanding, just asking questions. And um, it's never a comment on the, well, sometimes it is a comment on the, on the, you know, content, but it's mainly never right out of the gate, like a, a critique on content. It's more of a critique on, um, you know, how the physical image or, sculpture or whatever, what have you is, is working. Um, and you always try and be educated with critique. I think, you know, the worst thing that you can do is get your own personal opinion wrapped up in critique when you're trying to be critical. I, I don't think it's a good idea to, um, to be, you know, super emotional about it. Like, oh, I hate this because it makes me feel like that. It's more like, oh, well, I don't think this is Maybe this is uh, working and maybe this is what the issue is. You know, tell me how you're working through this problem. You know, that's what I mean about like from a point of understanding. So um, I think if you come at critique like that, you can you can't do wrong. Um, and I think only constructive things can be garnered from that kind of conversation. It sounds like one of the reasons why it's important to actually have a community around you is that you build up enough trust so that you're trusting that that person is coming from the right place when they are offering you that 
critique. Yeah, for sure. Um, trust is, is a huge thing. Um, and I mean, obviously in art school, that can be kind of weird because like you don't know everyone in your class maybe, but you know, I mean, I feel like it's pretty easy to just be a nice person and just ask questions if you don't really know, uh, how to critique. And then eventually maybe something will come up and, you know, you can feel comfortable enough to, you know, maybe push back a little bit or, you know, comment on a particular aspect that you maybe want more uh, clarification on. Um, yeah, trust is a big thing for sure. So as you're talking about people who, um, are feeling critique in a way that is personal to them and maybe it's upsetting to them. Mm -hmm. Are there things that, that you can do as a colleague of theirs or a friend of theirs to help them get to that place where they understand that the critique is really, you're looking for a certain outcome. You're not getting the outcome that you're looking for. So that's where we're going as opposed to what you're doing is quote bad and you know, you're a bad person and that's making you feel bad. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to just, you know, the whole asking questions aspect. I, I think people really enjoy being asked about, you know, their, their thought process about how they're approaching their artwork. Um, and I want to, I want to gain that, that context and I'll ask questions about, um, you know, what artists they're looking at that helps me get a better idea of like where their head's at is like asking what what literal what literal like artisan art are you referencing um because all art is you know all art isn't necessarily necessarily original um there is always a point of reference and a point of context so getting that context is uh is paramount when you're approaching a critique especially with someone that you don't really know um and so I co-direct a gallery too. So I'm also um, a curator as well. So I, I am thinking about these questions a lot when I'm trying to select artists or I'm trying to select artwork. Um, I, I'm looking for that, that context. So those are the questions that I ask a lot. You were selected to be part of the show at the CMCA earlier this year. Yeah. Um, and that's a museum up the coast here in Maine that's mm -hmm. very well known, actually, mm -hmm. nationally, probably internationally. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. So having put yourself out there and made your work available for this show and for this selection, do you feel like this has had an impact over the past so many months since this happened as to how seriously you're taking your own art or were you already taking your art pretty seriously and this was just kind of a nice step along the way? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's a, it's kind of just like a, a running joke between artists that, you know, you work really hard and you apply to a bunch of different things and you don't get most of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, somehow I, I got into the biennial. I've been I'm working really, really hard since college. Um, I haven't really stopped um painting longer than you know like a month since uh, i graduated in 2021 and in college i was working all the time too so yeah i mean i just i just applied and they happened to think my work would fit into the the body of work that they were selecting for the biennial um and it was truly um truly a a, a dream i i think 
you know, I was born in, in Rockport and then to show work like a town over in a museum where I was born and, you know, where my family was originally from is like really, really amazing. It was definitely a dream being there. Um, and I loved working with the staff there and with Timothy Peterson, the director. Um, yeah, I, I had a great time. It's a lovely museum and I, I love their approach to, um, you know, showing work and it's, it's not for sale. It's like just all about the art and it's all about, um, the scene, you know, they, they pick a lot of artists from Maine. Um, and I think that's really, truly awesome. Yeah. They're, they're a good institution for sure. And being in there definitely made me have a little bit of imposter syndrome, but in a good way, I, I, just uh, have never been in a museum. I've never had work in a museum before. So it was interesting seeing my work in that context. And sometimes I work very large and I had a very big painting in that show. Um, and seeing that in an actual museum was crazy because it looked small. <laughs> and I was like, I can go bigger. So it definitely uh, put a little bit of a fire under my ass. So I'm ready. That's good. Mm. Um, I think what you're speaking to this idea of curation is really interesting because you're showing up with your art as, as one single artist, mm -hmm. but other people are taking it and they're putting it in context with other artists. And that's mm -hmm. whether you're in a gallery and you're curating, um, the gallery pieces, or that's if you're curating a museum show. Mm -hmm. So it feels like the idea that you could be put with some another person's art um, that you might not have even thought about before, that, that feels really interesting to me. So tell me about that when you're doing it, when you're curating the pieces for the gallery you work for. You know, what process do you go through to say, oh, this seems like it goes well here or this works with this? Yeah, I think it's about finding connections um, within the work. Um, I, th I think... You know, when I'm, I'm curating like paintings, I'm trying to look for color relationships, relationships of symbols and themes. Um, when it comes to sculpture, I'm trying to, or sculpture and painting. I mean, it is all essentially just about relations. Um, you know, how does this thing interact with this other thing? I, I think in my own personal art collection, I which I have been kind of building over the past five years, um, I'm always you know, collecting work from peers and from people that I follow on Instagram. And I personally, my taste in my own art is like definitely a lot of figurative, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking for relationships in, in, in color and in form and, you know, all of these kind of just happen naturally within your own collection. I think some people have like specific ideas of like, oh, I only want to collect main art or, oh, oh I only want to collect landscapes and you know that's great that's the great thing about art is that you know your your taste um you can kind of be your own curator when you're looking at your own uh your own inventory of of artwork um me as a curator for shows i'm always trying to think of um with my team like themes um jumping off points buzzwords to kind of help us um think about what kind of art we want from like our open calls and stuff. Um, 
like, you know, for instance, I'm because I'm always on Instagram, I'm always looking at other contemporaries and other peers. So I'm always saving things into like little like bookmarks and selections and I will, you know, keep it around and I'll be curating a, a show next year that is about the figure. Um, and I've been, you know, writing a list over the past, you know, year, year and a half of artists that I want to tap for that show um, because a lot of them are, you know, kind of out of state. So I want to be able to, you know, reach out and put the bug in their ear and be like, okay, I, I want your work. I want your work. And, you know, some of them are here in America. Some of them are, you know, over in Europe um, or in Asia. And, you know, I, I think, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's all about, you know, the, the, the themes and the buzzwords to kind of help you uh, narrow your selections down for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I've learned a lot from you today. So I appreciate your coming in and uh, being willing to educate a an admitted non-artist yeah. on the work that you do. And I'm excited about the fact that you were in the biennial at the CMCA, but also that you're, you've continued to work hard and that you're, you're gaining some success. So, mm -hmm. so thank you for spending time with me today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Dr. Lisa Belial. You have been listening to or watching Radio Maine today with artist Holden Willard. I hope that you take the opportunity to look into his work more at the Portland Art Gallery. And um, I, I suspect that he's somebody that we're going to be hearing from quite a bit in the future. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thanks.